Please be seated for our Bible readings. The first reading is taken from the book of Isaiah, chapter 11, beginning at verse 1. It can be found on page 667 in the Old Testament section of the Church Bible. In this reading, the prophets foresaw a future child king from the tribe of David, ruling the world according to God's goodness, righteousness, and justice. A branch will grow from a stump of a tree that was cut down. So a new king will come from the family of Jesse. The spirit of the Lord will rest upon that king. The spirit gives him wisdom understanding, guidance, and power. And the Spirit teaches him to know and respect the Lord. This king will be glad to obey the Lord. He will not judge by the way things look. He will not judge by what people say. He will judge the poor honestly. He will be fair in his decisions for the poor people of the land. At his command, evil people will be punished. By his words, the wicked will be put to death. Goodness and fairness will give him strength they will be like a belt around his waist. Then wolves will live in peace with lambs, and leopards will lie down to rest with goats. Calves, lions, and young bulls will eat together, and a little child will lead them. Cows and bears will eat together in peace. Their young will lie down together. Lions will eat hay as oxen do. A baby will be able to play near cobra's hole. A child will be able to put his hand into the nest of a poisonous snake. They will not hurt or destroy each other. On all my holy mountain, the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord, as the sea is full of water. At that time, the new king from the family of Jesse will stand as a banner for the people the nations will come together around him and the place where he lives will be filled with glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
Hear the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. The Gospel reading is taken from Matthew, chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. It can be found on page 2 in the New Testament section of the Church Bible. In this reading, we hear of the ministry of John the Baptist and of his testimony of one who is greater to follow. About that time, John the Baptist came and began preaching in the desert area of Judea. John said, Change your hearts and lives, because the kingdom of heaven is coming. John the Baptist is the one Isaiah the prophet was talking about. Isaiah said, This is a voice of a man who calls out in the desert, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make the road straight for him. John's clothes were made from camel's hair. He wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. Many people went to hear John preach. They came from Jerusalem and all Judea and all the area around the Jordan River. They told of the sins they had done, and John baptized them in the Jordan River. Many of the Pharisees and Sadducees came to the place where John was baptizing people. When John saw them, he said, You are snakes who warned you to run away from God's anger that is coming. You must do the things that show that you have really changed your hearts and lives. And don't think that you can say to yourselves, Abraham is our father. I tell you that God could make children for Abraham from these rocks. The axe is now ready to cut down the trees. Every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water to show that your hearts and lives have changed. But there is one coming later who is greater than I am. I am not good enough to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He will come ready to clean the grain. He will separate the good grain from the chaff. He will put the good part of the grain into his barn. And he will burn the chaff with a fire 
that cannot be put out. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Would you like to sit and I shall pray? So, loving Father, would you help us now to listen? Will you help us to hear, to understand, and to receive what you want us to know? And Lord, do challenge us individually in whatever area of our life where Jesus is not Lord. And may we respond willingly and eagerly. Amen. Well, I don't know whether you know or not, um, uh, but, I, but all four Gospels actually record the, the role that John the Baptist had as a forerunner. And I think that gives you some indication of how important that role was, that all four Gospels actually recorded. You see, he was the one who went ahead to prepare the way for the arrival of Jesus. And, of course, it's in him that the, the prophecies of Malachi and Isaiah, some eight centuries earlier, find their fulfillment. And we remember, well, I hope we all remember, uh, how his father, Zechariah, with his speech restored after the birth and the naming of his son, John, with his speech res totally restored, uh, said prophetically that this child will go before the face of the Lord to prepare the way for him. Well, John was six months older than his cousin Jesus, and when he eventually stepped onto the stage of history, it was with a prophetic voice to foretell the arrival of the king and to foretell the preparatory work that had to be done. You see, Jesus would soon appear and he was not going to reign over people who clung to their sins. They were living in the kingdom of darkness and God wanted and had plans for them to be citizens of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of light. And they had to change. Something had to come about. I would have loved to have seen this man, wouldn't you? I'd have loved to see him, who at first sight left a lot to be desired. The only clothes that he had were those that he stood up in, and apparently he lay down in them too. <laughs> clothes made of camel's hair, tied together with a belt around his waist. And his diet matched his clothes, didn't they? <laughs> oh my word, locusts and wild honey on the menu every day. And I would have loved to have heard him. I'd have loved to have heard him thundering out over and over again this message of repentance. I'm sure that he would have inspired me as well. Repent! I can just go imagine him. Repent! You Come on, you lot, repent! Get on with it. You see, he was preaching very much an unpopular message, one which was powerful. He was rather like a spiritual bulldozer, wasn't he? Sort of demolishing uh, uh, doing a demolition job so that a program of building could go ahead. There was nothing gentle, gentle, softly, softly in his approach. Uh, it was um, 
punching straight from the shoulder in a language that his listeners were able to relate to. He lashed his audience in terms that were relevant to them. Every example that he gave was simple, but always very cutting. Oh, there were references there this morning that we heard, and if we pick up some from the other Gospels as well. Um, snakes he talked about. Uh, elsewhere, they, he talks about a brood of vipers, just trying to escape from what God wants to do. He spoke about them bearing fruit, or not bearing fruit, and what would happen, the axe would come and cut them down. And he said, you have Abraham as your ancestor. You see, he was hitting at the formal position which they believed that their birth and inheritance had given them. Their religious pedigree didn't put them right with God. Just perhaps a little reminder, you know, what's come through us from previous generations doesn't put us right. We've got to make those decisions ourselves. Over and over again, he brought to their attention an awareness of their sins. Since he wanted them to know and to appreciate that sin separated them from a holy God. Just as sin separates us now from our holy God. And in repentance, they had to identify sin as sin. And understanding what sin is, they had to own up, as it were, and say as the prodigal son did, Father, I have sinned. Didn't offer any excuses. I've sinned, acknowledging it. I wonder when we say our confession, whether we're at the back of our mind, we might have little excuses as to why we've misbehaved or done what we've done. No, no way, I have sinned. And in repentance, they had to feel sorrow in their heart for their sin. Indeed, feeling as God feels about it. You know, we're sad and hurt, aren't we, when our children go slightly off the rails, when they do something that we don't really approve of. But how pained our heavenly dad is when we sin. Do we ever realize that? Do we ever appreciate that? And as we turn to him, you know, we share his sorrow. And how important to, to identify our sins in a specific way and to articulate clearly with God those things that we want to put right with his help. And it's rather a cop-out to use the ever so general umbrella prayer, oh sorry Lord, I've sinned. Let's always be specific about it and recognize where we have fallen short. Let's be specific and we will be if we really mean it. True repentance asks the question, am I really sorry enough about my sin to stop doing it? Am I really sorry enough about my sin to stop doing it? You see, genuine sorrow calls for action on our part and it leads us to the point where we hate what Satan has led us into and we now choose to love the path, that new path, that God wants us to follow. And repentance leads to the forgiven sinner demonstrating in his life that he's no longer the person that he was. Well, John's telling off 
his damning rebuke sought that response in repentance, and that in turn was to lead to a result. You see, if repentance is real and sincere, it has a transforming effect, and that is evidenced in behavior, in attitude, in speech, in action. True then, and indeed true today. God wants us to be real and honest with him when we repent. Not just a matter of saying sorry, but actually giving up the sinful ways and going God's way and producing fruit in keeping with repentance. And John hammers this home, doesn't he? Uh, over and again with that stern warning, every tree that does not bear good fruit is going to be cut down and thrown into the fire. Yes, trees that are unfruitful are cut down and, and burnt. And each person who truly repents and turns in believing faith to Jesus responds by bearing fruit. It's in chapter 7 in Matthew's Gospel where Jesus' words are recorded and when he said, by their fruit you shall recognize them. By your fruit you shall recognize them. You see, if there's no fruit, then repentance has probably been pretty shallow and pretty meaningless. And, as John says, the axe will be put to use. They're solemn truths, aren't they? Solemn truths such as this are rarely welcomed. I found a note somewhere which said, um, John the Baptist wasn't invited to many homes for tea. Um, he didn't want to hear this sort of thing. But far better to hear and to know the truth now than when it's too late. You know, God's perfect plan for you and for me, for all our loved ones, for every human being he's created is very clear. It's Peter in his epistle who reminds us that the Lord is patient not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You see, our Heavenly Father is a God of love. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of forgiveness, a God of new beginnings. And, you know, if we had what we deserved, we'd all be heading for a hopeless end. But because of his grace and mercy, we have an endless hope. See, John the Baptist didn't hold back from preparing the way for Jesus in this desert wilderness of Judea. You know, we're living in a parish in an island where there are thousands who are in a similar desert wilderness, unaware of the oasis where they can rest and be refreshed. You know, th through God's grace, come on, through God's grace, we have found that oasis which is located in Jesus alone. It was an awareness or at, at a particular stage of my sin that drove me to seek the Saviour. And as a sinner, I have that common link with everyone on earth. We're all sinners. And Jesus uniquely has the remedy. But, but why should my next-door neighbour, a colleague at work, the lady at the till in the supermarket, whoever, need the remedy 
if he or she is unaware of his or her condition and fallen state. You see, as unforgiven sinners, without the Savior, they all head for a hopeless eternity. You know, we may not have the boldness of John the Baptist to shout repent outside Morrison's, but we can pray, we can testify to our faith when opportunities arise uh, in everyday conversation. We can reflect the light and love of Jesus in the way we live our lives. We have opportunities to invite people to join us in the coming days, for example, to capture the wonder of Jesus coming at Christmas. You know, it was Billy Graham who said, we are the Bibles the world is reading. We are the creeds the world is needing. We are the sermons the world is heeding. You know, may we all really play our part in preparing the way for the Lord to make a straight path for Jesus in the life of at least one person who's not met with the Saviour. Come along. Let's shine for Jesus and do something to prepare the way and point others to Jesus to be their Lord and Saviour. We have so many opportunities in the coming days. Let's not fall short. Oh, in one of his songs, Graham Kendricks wrote, Make way, make way for Christ the King. Fling, fling wide the gates and welcome him into your lives. Oh, Father, as we prepare the way for others to meet with Jesus, help us in this run-up to Christmas to open gates for Jesus, to enter into the life of at least one person that we know. Thank you, Lord.